0: Yeah, waves. here is my request you don't have to play it but I hope you'll do your best I've been listening to your show on the radio and you seem like a friend to me howdy hi Victoria, Stand the man, man. hello oh don't get up it's only me
1: Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420, 3XY. Hello, It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six. 3DB with Keith McGann. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3EE, the breeze, 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station.
0: Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420, 3 xy
1: Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 40 minutes or so where we get to talk to the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. Now, in the Longman's Dictionary of Contemporary English, a person is described as an institution if they've been an important part of a place for a very long time. Now, based on that, Triple M's Steve Price in Townsville is an institution. Hey, Steve Price. Welcome to Pilots, and thanks for joining us.
0: With great pleasure, great pleasure and giggles.
1: Now, an attendee at Bentley High School in Melbourne, yet picking up your first job at 17 uh it has hazard a guess it's suggesting that school wasn't your strong point.
0: How can you say that? How could you ever say that? Uh, but you're right. But, but I, I passed everything. That I, I don't. I, I was good at English, surprisingly enough. Um, but uh, I passed everything because my dreams were elsewhere. Uh, and I suppose like every young person, you know, you follow your dreams, but uh, I just didn't expect them to come in the form of radio. I loved radio from the age of five. I just didn't expect it to, to happen. And, and yeah, you know, I, I love school, but it left early because I left early to get a job and then, uh, then, uh, the blessing happened that I got a job in radio, uh, Quite by accident.
1: Now, to be seeking a job in radio, you must have had a keen ear on the transistor during your teenage years. Where was your dial set and who were you listening to?
0: Oh, goodness me. Alan Aiken um, and the good guys. um, uh, Lionel Yorkie. Yorkie. um, Because he used to do that great song at the start of his show. I think it was Yorking. Scooby-Doo, 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 dooby doo, wee, doo, ba. He was just terrific. It was you see those breaky shows and the night shows? They were exactly that. They were shows. They were, they were the people. They were the, the the intrinsic magic of radio live happening. I used to look at this little wire, and I could never work out how this man. Could be talking to me, and let alone the transistor radio, um, it was just magic to me. And, the, and of course, the crystal set. That's how it all began for me, like it did for pretty well everyone of, of my generation. Joining the joining the wire to the spouting and listening at night, and I just I just loved it. But I, it was just magic, knowing that this bloke was in this room. But he was talking, he was talking to me. How bloody wonderful. I, 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 it was the most magical thing. And you know, you know, it still is. I sit in my little studio, look up at Mount Stewart, and there's this stick hanging out there. And I know instantly my heart and soul is going to thousands of people. It's bloody amazing. Mark Coney, genius.
1: So how did the panel operator job at 3DB come about?
0: I was in, I was at Phillip Island. Um, I'd left a job. I was no, good. I was hopeless. Uh, Dad wanted me to go to uni, well, that wasn't going to happen. Um, I ended up, uh, he got me a job panel beating, failed dismally. I went selling furniture for Patterson's, got the sack and Um, well-deserved. I was just a bit of a lost soul. And then at 17, Seventeen. I was at Phillip Island and I heard on the radio. In fact, I've got the actual radio just behind me that I heard my job advertised on John Eden. We used to listen to John Eden on the Brecky show on, on 3DB. And I heard this ad, my Nana, I was living with my Nana. We'd had a few family problems and Nana said, go and get the job. Go and, sorry, Go and apply. It's an would oh, never go and apply. So I did, and I ninety people, I got uh, um, an invite to go in to the immediate basement at the Herald and Weekly Times. I went in. Ninety kids going for this job. I thought I'm buggered. They had papers and qualifications. I had nothing. So, finally, I went in there and met the late Don Kinsey. I met Curtis Crawford, the late manager, and Johnny Nichols. And anyway, we went around, went around, waited. All these other guys, I don't know how they went. There was five left. Then there was four. We were congratulating each other. Then there was one. And I'm thinking, what the bloody hell am I doing here? Kinsey took me around to Curtis Crawford's office. All these blokes in suits, because they were a weekly Times, were sitting there. John Eden was standing back. And Don Kinsey said, well, you're it. Well, it was it was the greatest time in, in my life there for a 17-year-old boy to have given a job he would ever dreamt of, Um let alone being live on air with John Eden. And, of course, I probably stuffed it up because I wasn't taught properly. And that only because, you know, the bloke before me was leaving. I'd never been in radio. The panel frightened me. I used to study and study. I used to work 14 hours a day. I did. I loved it to get to know him. After a year or so, they moved me off it. put Lee Simon in after me, actually. Moved me into production. John Eden said, you're not sacking him. You never gave him a chance. So John Eden put his job on the line for me. You're not sacking him. Um, keep him. Don Kinsey said, uh, we'll give you a chance at production, but I don't know how you'll go. And I said, I'm going to be the best. So I got became production manager at 19 years old or whatever it was. Worked my ass off. Oh, I'd be working days and days. And then they changed to DB Music. They took John Eden off the air. They sacked everyone, everyone but me and Dennis Scanlon. They became DB Music with Brendan Sheedy. Rick Melbourne came to do Brecky, And, of course, I was a long-haired lout. They loved me because it came rock and roll. And, of course, I just loved my work. Paul Thompson became program director. Paul Thompson, one of the greatest radio men in the world, ever. Who started Austereo, as you know. And I had the blessing of working with Paul. And little did I know, many, many years later, after uh, doing the greatest, getting the greatest job in the world at 4TO, that he would come back into my life, into my radio life, as um, the CEO of DMG, and bought the radio station and my whole life began again because he was unbelievable so yeah anyway that that that's how the job happened i stayed there for 9 years i loved it you know we you know we met all the rock and roll stars all of that but it was the production that i loved but i'd always held dreams of being on air
1: always that was an interesting time at DB with, as you say, John Eden, Talkback, races, as well as an injection of music and some interesting characters on air. Hey, listen, tell us about Paddy O'Donnell.
0: Oh, God. He was a wonderful man. I was 17. And part of my job doing the brekkie show, apart from putting away all the records and putting the cartridges in the dock and making the cartridges with Orm Slater, I used to have to go over and get Paddy from the pub Paul, it was unbelievable, I was 17. And this was the Phoenix Hotel, Lou Richards pub. And I used to bring Paddy back from the pub. I couldn't believe, he was on the air at four, and I'd help him across the road. I even, he couldn't stand up in the loo. I had to, you know, stand back and hold him up in the old loo's at 3DB, and... Uh, but he got on the air and he was brilliant. I mean, he was brilliant. You'd never know these guys were. These guys, these guys were just the greatest performers, and that's what radio was: performers. I remember Paddy also used to put the cartridges in his in the racks behind him. And if Paddy didn't like a song, he'd make it known. And he had a song on. He put this song on by a band called Pickety Witch. And I'll never forget it. I'm standing behind him. The program director was on the other side of the window. Paddy ripped the 45 off the turntable. You could hear the needle scratch above it And I will never play that load of rubbish again. And threw it. And it hit the window and splattered into a thousand pieces. That, that was Paddy. And, but, you know, he was Unbelievable. Yeah, many a story of dear Paddy O'Donnell because, because they were performers, outrageous performers, outrageous. 3 so on 3LK, key stations in Victoria of the major broadcasting network, a quarter to eight.
1: Now, John Eden was one of the doyens of Breakfast Radio and you did work so closely with him. Tell me, is there anything that you learned from Eden in those early days that you actually still use today? John,
0: again, a solo and answer. His voice is what made you feel comfortable. The human voice is the most extraordinary device. The pauses, the tones, the laughs, and that's what John had. He, and he had this presence, the old-style, wonderful presence. I would look at him through the studio and think, this man is talking one-on-one to people. What a wonderful gift. Yes, it was early days of radio when when radio was king you know yes television was coming in but radio was what 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 was what went on first thing in the morning so john was there having breakfast so i guess that's something he, he taught me he, he he that he was having his time with the listener we were sharing things together he'd have his bloody cold 4 and 20 pies i don't know how he ate them at five o'clock in the morning, Paul. He ate four and twenty pies cold. <laughs> and living happily into his 90s. So being there, knowing what was happening in town, because he used to, you know, for the Herald Weekly Times, of course, knowing what was what were the um, main things happening in the city that meant a lot to people in their lives. So I learned that off John and uh, that wonderful way of talking one-on-one. I guess, yeah, I guess that's that's the gift he left with me.
1: Now, through all the changes that occurred at DB, one name remained constant, and that was Dennis Scanlon. Why do you think Dennis survived for so long?
0: Because he adapted, and because uh, he was easygoing, and because he was the consummate professional. You see, he... He went from those different eras. In our game, it's no good saying, oh, well, that's it then. You know, I'm just not going to take that. You can't do that. You have to adapt. You have to change with the times. Keep your personality. Keep that box, which is your, your, your product. But you get along with the bosses. You say, right, I will do this. I will do that. Dennis was brilliant and he was the greatest offsider, uh, the man that uh, I believe um, was the greatest performer in this country's history and who I uh, unashamedly steal a lot of my, my style off and that's the great Graham Kennedy and Dennis was his offsider. Melbourne makes music everywhere, Parks
1: and discos here, the country to. Now, in 1979, you move up the dial slightly to 1179 3KZ, playing one great song after another, a place where you were able to move between the production desk and the announcer's console. How did that move come about, and how did that on-air opportunity eventuate?
0: One of the greatest radio men uh, in this country, and that's Brian Lehman. He was great on the air, great. uh, An absolute lover of radio. These men loved radio. They didn't They didn't just go there because it was a job. They loved it. That was the priority, giving to the audience. Brian moved. Brian was at, 3, at 3DB, the TV music too, um, and he knew I did discos. He knew I loved production and the, and he gave me an opportunity to come along and, in production and to go on the radio to do mid-dawns. I would do mid-dawns and come in the next morning and do production through, have a few hours sleep and do mid-dawns. I would have just done that, lived on two hours sleep. I, I love that. And he and he would talk to me. He knew what the Steve Price thing was, and he nurtured me around that. And uh, he gave me this opportunity. As I sit here in, in, in my little home in the tropics, I thank Brian Lehman and I thank Kevin John because I'd have nothing without them.
1: As you mentioned there, you did work mid-dawn at 3KZ, live and not computerised, of course. How important was it, or is it, to have a real person on air during those hours?
0: Uh, uh, Unbelievably important. Like it's important now. It's what radio is. Radio is live. I learned that you could touch the audience. People would ring and make comments, have a laugh with you. As long as you talked about their city and you were a part of their life, you lived their life, and you, you gave them respect, and you, you you were their mate. You never talked down to them, you talked with them. Um, they've given you the greatest honour in the world, of the most valuable thing they own, and that is their time. They're giving you their time, and you're a part of their life. How bloody wonderful. Midnight to dawn in Melbourne was huge. I used to... Um, work out, I used to go through the, the phone book and work out who was working those hours, I'd go through the pink pages as they were in those days go to, find out who was working, write down a dozen or so and then I'd take it day to them then I'd find out what businesses were working, I would ring them um, what nightclubs needed people in them, I would ring up the nightclub manager and while I was on the air I'd drop edit the phone behind me and put music behind it. You'd have two tape decks behind you and I would just drop edit. That was really good having a production background. And I'd have Miss splicing block with me as well if I needed. It was mid-dawns. was magic. In fact, you had more opportunity to play up, to be quite honest.
1: Okay, some of the people you worked with. Tell us about Peter O'Callaghan.
0: That man, I loved him to bits. He he again another absolute radio lover. He gave his heart and soul on the air. He would do anything. He would work over and over again. What happened? Yeah, yeah Day after day, if they said, "Can you work tomorrow?" Yep, he'd do it. Um, he'd do two shifts a day. He'd do he'd do anything. He loved his music. He loved his interviews. He loved his audience, and he loved the people he worked with. He and I just hit it off in production. We'd come up with ideas. He would come in, let's do this. right? Now, let's... And that's what makes radio. It's not something we plan for a month down, the, the, the line. That's fine too. But if there was something happening in Melbourne then, we would do it. We would come up with an idea. We would write it, produce it, do whatever. It was a joy and a privilege to work with Peter O'Callaghan.
1: Now, all good things must come to an end, and that era at KZ did with a change of management and a significant clean-out of staff. Tell me how Kevin John influenced your next career move.
0: In every way. From the time I met Kevin at uh, 3KZ, um, he he came in to do a Midnight to Dawn show. I was doing Sunday nights, and, you know, I turned the lights off on him. I gave him a terrible hard time. Um, and we, we just worked so very hard. The three of us actually got ourselves in a terrible strife at the pubs, but uh, we just worked and worked. Radio was our life, well, it still is, of course. I miss Kevin every moment of the day. Kevin's influence at at, at 3KZ um, when we all got moved on. Um, it was my time of change. I, I could. There was a production job going at Eon and Fox, I think Eon or. He knew I loved the honour, and I always wanted to, I always wanted to, ha- um, sorry, talking to Kevin's, uh, Kevin's um, Yes, We talked about having a go at a, uh, Applying to a Northern city. Barry Bissell suggested 40.0 cause he'd been here. Um, and Kevin, I had no way of getting a tape together. And we went to 3MP, and he would direct me and talk to me because he knew how much I absolutely loved the thought of creating a very personal but fun, unpredictable breakfast show and really, really local. And uh, we we worked on a tape, and I sent the tape to Cairns, Townsville, and Mackay. My tape arrived on the desk of David Pertins, At the time, the midnight to dawn announcer left and the production... Sorry, the night announcer had left and the production manager had uh, gone on leave for six weeks. And I offered to do both. Um, And they brought me up here for three weeks. Kevin came to the airport with mum and dad and off I went with my suitcase with bugger all in it because I didn't own much. We never got much money. Uh, But we didn't care. We loved what we did. And Kevin um, was there at the airport. Uh, Yeah.
1: Hey, so much respect for that guy right across the industry. Bit of a change of pace, so it's uh, now 4TO in Townsville. Tell us about your very first day in Townsville and that very first shift.
0: Oh, it was horrific. I arrived at 11 o'clock. No one was there to pick me up. Uh, It was as hot as Bagreed, a January... Saturday morning, a very hot day in, in, in January. Got to the airport. There was no one there, only in the bar downstairs. It was unbelievable. The place was packed full of people drinking on a Sunday. And uh, they finally picked me up. and As typical up here, they took me straight to the pub. And I didn't drink there, And they proceeded to get me rollicking drunk for the next six hours. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Uh, all these fun people. You see, see, Kevin and I, Peter O'Callaghan and Brian Lehman were mates, but you see, everyone else sort of kept to themselves. You know what I mean? Whereas up here, everyone was his team, this family. Um, And so anyway, they took me off to the pub, put me to bed, and in the lift, the program director said, listen, I think you should go on air at midnight. I said, I'm pissed. He said, no, 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 you'll be right, mate. I had no idea about this. Oh, well, I knew a bit about the city. I had no idea about cycl. We were in cyclone season. The weather, just reading the weather, went for eight minutes. I'd never done that. In Melbourne, it's, uh, you know, fine mild, bit of sun, some rain, top of 20. Not up here. It went for eight or nine minutes. Townsville City, Herbert and Lower Burdekin. Uh, Central Coast, Burdekin and an Isaacs, North Coast, Tablelands and the Peninsula, and then the coastal forecast, Cardwell through to Bowen, and that's before you did a cyclone warning and cyclone watch, so and strong wind warning. So it was huge, and that was my first shift. I'd love a copy of it because it would have been probably the worst radio ever, but I loved it. My second day, I rang my mum and said I'm not coming home, even though I was only employed for three weeks.
1: Now, can you tell us about that air check that you sent up to Dave Perkins at 40 to secure that job?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, it was still me, but we edited it up. Bloody oath. You know, I wanted a job. So Kevin and I cut it up. We redid a few bits and pieces. Still got me the job. So I had to prove myself then. And uh, again, the love of radio shone through, Paul, and... Uh, Again, I worked up here and you got no money. We were getting a hundred bucks a week. You know, it was, you know, you couldn't live. But you see, when four radio announcers are living in the same house and, you know, you you did all right. And everyone, you see, up here, I learnt, Paul, that up here, radio is in, in its truest essence. They're learning it in the big city now. Here you go out to the people. Uh, your audience, the blessed audience. You go out and meet them and they get to know you. And, and you go out and you do your charities, you do your outside broadcasts. Like we were doing outside broadcasts way before they did them in the big cities. It, it was just true radio. And you didn't give a damn about the money, you had to ball.
1: Now, what was it that you had to do as a man from the South to win over a local audience in Townsville?
0: Be honest. Be honest um and, and that's that that's what it was all, all the frailties and machinations of being human making blues that's what you that's what you did but i did because in melbourne i couldn't find anything about townsville i spent 3 weeks in the library every after Every day, I would go and spend a few hours in the library, learn about the city, because this city is so different to Melbourne that like you would just wouldn't believe. I point out there, and that's the Great Barrier Reef, really. just, just out there. There's history. There's 90 wrecks in the bay that I'm looking at. 90 wrecks from planes and boats, as in warplanes. The history up here is amazing. We're about to go into the cane season, the the sugar crush, the mines, the army. We're we're the biggest army barracks in Australia. If there's deployments, it comes from Townsville. You know, you get to know the people. You get a charity. I did all charities. Every fate, I had my hand up. Oh, gee whiz, it wasn't hard. Well, yeah, it was hard work. You do six hours. But the thing is, you got to meet people. You had fun. And you got stuff for the next week's shows. It was, they wanted you out. Not in the bigger cities. In Melbourne in those days, you never went out. Whereas here, it was, can you come and do this, fate? I did an outside broadcast in Ingham on Saturday for the um, Park Fest. And there, there was people around everywhere. This coming Saturday, I'm doing the Australian hand cutting championships. Cane knife championships I'm doing. It's, Fantastic! You would never do that in Melbourne. So you learn about Kane, You learn all the things that make a city. And you know, it's not that hard. It's going to be your home and you, you become a part of the city.
1: So you establish yourself with the 4TO identity and then management comes in and tells you that the triple M juggernaut is going to rebadge the whole station. How do you feel about that?
0: Grateful. I, I didn't agree with it at all. You know, you buy a station for what? you do. You don't buy a station, then change it. You know, we were number one by a long way. So I disagree. I remember talking to Guy Dobson and I gave him a whole list of reasons why you couldn't do that because it's exactly what radio is. Radio is tied to the city. T.O. is the first two letters of the town's name. People have grown up with this station. So it was a travesty at that time to change it. Then, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, and all the bosses knew I was against the change. And then one day they took me to dinner, and they and I said, I know why you've taken me to dinner. Two of the big bosses. And all I said to them first, I said, "Is this a boardroom decision?" And they said, "Yes." I said, "Right, I will support it." And they and one of the blokes said, uh, "Well, you'll agree." And I said, "No, no, no." I, don't agree. I think making a wrong decision. But I will do everything in my power to make it work. The board have decided, I love this station. I wanted to retire it at, at 40. Years. You know, so I basically had. I was the last person on the air. The greatest, what I believe, the greatest regional radio station ever, ever. Now, it moved into Triple M. I did the crossover. I know they... Were listening around the country thinking that i was in fact one of the bosses even warned me the day before not to say anything i said you've got me on the air tomorrow morning i'm a professional radio man i love what this station is you've changed the name okay so i, I wrote a whole thing the night before and simply for all i basically said to the audience to the our people our, our people who who, who loved this radio station said, look, it's like an old Queenslander. We're giving it a new paint job and we're putting a new sign on the door. That's all. That's all. It's still got the balcony. It's still got the hills hoist. It's still got the mango tree. It's still Queensland. It's still North Queensland. And in the middle of that old Queenslander, there's a little room. And that little room is 40 And it'll always be there with all the souls that made this radio station great. Made it so great that Triple M bought it. It's got all the pictures and all the – so it's always there. We've just got a new sign on the front door. So our heart and soul for this city is still there. That's basically what i said.
1: Now, you mentioned how special outside broadcasts are and the feats and the fairs, etc., but tell me about reporting from Afghanistan and the Western Front.
0: Well, I mentioned to you that you get to learn the city. Well, I did a thing called A Day in the, a Day in the Life of the Digger uh, early, 37 years ago. And I would talk about the army. I got to know the army. And, 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 you know, there was a little bit of, you know, problems between the young diggers and us in the early days. But then we became a family. And I would, in fact, um, after the Black Hawk tragedy, that was what brought this city together, really. I would talk about it every morning in the breakage show, Um, as in the army. And when the first deployments came, when the first deployment, a terrible deployment to Somalia and Rwanda, uh, it came from here. I knew the diggers going. I knew the uh, brigadier You know, I'd go and do interviews with them all the time. So when we went to uh, East Timor, I did my show with Cosgrove in East Timor. I did the Solomons twice because what we could do is bring the lives of the diggers who were from Townsville here. When when they had the, um, uh, the deployment to Rwanda, I did Radio Rwanda. I did the brekkie show at five o'clock in the morning. I would come in at midnight and the guys would line up, because in those days there wasn't any internet. The guys would line up outside the CEO's office and I would talk to them, record the phone call and play it on the air in the brekkie show, little bits. and they'd be saying hello to their wives. Their babies would be born while they're away. Well, you know, these guys are risking their lives. So they would come in and go on the air and finally... We as a city knew what a digger did. So when other deployments happened, the general, the brigadiers who were here became the generals in Canberra and they would say, we want Pricey to go over. So I got a phone call from Canberra saying, would you like to do your show in Tarantow? Well, I couldn't believe it. So I spent a week in Kuwait, a few days in Kabul, and a week and a bit um, doing the show from Taryn Cow, in, right in the heart of Orisgan, uh, uh, do, uh doing, do, doing um, interviews with the diggers. I'd sit at nightfall um, with my little computer, put in the chip that I recorded on the little Zoom digit uh, recorder that I carry everywhere with me. And then my show would go on. Unbelievable. You know, at, at an orange sunset. In, in, in Tarrant Cow with the, the Badlands just there. And, and my, I'd put my show through the computer. It was amazing. Met the most amazing people. Um, went out over the wire on numerous occasions. Saw the great work the Australians did there. And through the magic of radio, because the human voice, the, the feelings, the emotions would come over from these diggers. You know, you talk to the mechanics, you didn't just talk to the generals and all that, Uh, the CEOs, although you talk to them too, but you talk to the diggers, the blokes getting the mail, the guys doing the washing, the cooks, everyone has a story. And to have that on a radio station in a garrison city was unbelievable.
1: So Steve, how do you feel when you hear about regional stations being networked to within an inch of their lives, even in breakfast?
0: I think it breaks my heart. You know, I can see, I can see reasons because of this day and age. But in my mind, radio is coming alive again. It is coming alive again. I would, I would suggest to you that uh, these networks will happen and the, the circle will turn. It happened with more music in the late seventies. It happened with many of the stations even in the 80s. And then all of a sudden we fought back because radio is the true reality, you might say, but it's up to us, broadcast the broadcasters, us to make sure And our generation to come, the next generation to come to make it worthwhile. People will crave for this, what we're doing now. People meeting in the parks, in the restaurants, everywhere, that's radio, telling of stories. We will do it and, and, and what will make it is that it will be local again. It will be local, because that's what we thrive for. In our city, this is Townsville. We're um, we're a city of a couple of hundred thousand. We got two hundred and thirty thousand, say all up without a regions, perhaps even a bit more. And people want to know what's happening is relevant to them, but it's how we do it. It's the, that's the future of radio. Uh, so that we do it with fun, unpredictability, but we're trusted, um, and we're local. We talk about things that matter. Uh, with all due respect to the people in Sydney and Melbourne, we're 2,000 kilometres away from Brisbane. Like this is this is, we're we're winter on Tuesday. Have a look at this, mate. You now we're in shorts and thongs. What's happened, And that's the Coral Sea, that's the birth of cyclones. People in Brisbane don't even know about that. We, oh, well, to a certain extent, we cop extraordinary things up here. So to me, radio will live, in fact, I think will become even more important to people's lives.
1: Now, you've always been a solo performer. Has there ever been any pressure to take on a partner or two?
0: There was in the early days, but... Uh, when um, I was doing Drive, someone suggested that we do um, a duo with the Brecky announcer at the time, Barry Coleman, good luck. But it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. There was duos at the time. And look, duos will work if they're great, Paul. To me, you know, it's you and I having a chat here, Cobber. That's what radio is. That's what radio is. You know, we'll, we'll do a call and a laugh, but it's two people, the listener or the, you know, the broadcaster and the blessed listener. That's what I believe, you know. We, and even duos, I believe every duo, they should be able to do solo because then you're more valuable. You're valuable. And you can do other shifts. You can be there. If someone's cooked, you can... Well, to me, solo shows will make a comeback. You know, there will be the listener and the broadcaster. And I reckon uh, it's what I love. I, uh, and now it's towards the end of my career. I, I won't work with anyone. I work with the audience. I work with the listener, the one the one person that I have in the chat to.
1: Now, 2018 was no doubt a special year when you were recognised for your services to both media and the community at large with the Medal of the Order of Australia. So what did that honour mean to you?
0: Oh, it, it, it meant everything to me because it was what? It was radio. It was radio. Radio gave me the opportunity to give back to the community. For my 38 mango seasons here, I've done all the charities. I've gone uh, all, all the towns or city council stuff. All, yes, all the things with the army, the schools. and I, I, I believe radio, you've got to give back you know you've got this immense power that you you respect uh, so you can talk about things and people then want you to come and be a part of their lives outside the outside the little room of magic and that's what I do so for all my community work I didn't know that people realised how much I did Uh, a heap of people got together worked out all the things I'd done over all these years Um. And they put in that I get it, uh, an OAM, which stands for Order Another Mango, I might add. And, and it was it was for radio. It was for radio, Paul. I, I, I believe, yeah. Pricey did his thing, but it's I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have been able to do it without radio. So yeah, it was the highlight of my life, mate. And I, I think when. I said to my uh, 92-year-old mum at the time, um, mum, what's my name? And she said, Stephen William Price. And I said, "With a, she didn't know. I had a certificate in my hand. I said, no, mum, it's Stephen William Price, OAM. And I gave her the certificate. You, you can't ask for anything more than that. See her cry in tears, a little bit of pride. It was... And it's in a city so far away from where I was born. This is my home.
1: Finally, Steve, can you describe what you're wearing at the moment? And, and please don't disappoint me.
0: Well, I've got a blue shirt with every tropical fish you could imagine. Uh, all different colours, uh, bright red shorts and yellow crops. I know you can't see but I'll show you. There you go. Yellow, can you see them? yeah gotcha <laughs> yeah yellow crop. I've got five different pairs of them all different colors. you know it's it is marketing, but it is also me. It is me. This is the tropics, the sun shining. Uh, people live a different lifestyle here. um Yes, we've got a few bumps in our city at the moment, like everyone has, but people live here for lifestyle, tropical islands. I dived the Great Reef for 15 years. I wouldn't have thought of ever diving under the water in Melbourne. Did here. Great opportunities. So I live a tropical life. Um, and at 3.30 when I get dressed, Paul, it's really good. I I, I have a hell of a lot of different colour shorts. One of the colours is going to match. So I just grab them. Paradise for breakfast. Townsville's 102.3 Triple M.
1: This is Pilots of the Airwaves, and today we're talking with the legend Steve Price. And Steve, it's now time for those 12 quick fire jock questions. Starting off with, of course, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died?
0: I was with Peter O'Callaghan at 3KZ. He was in tears, I was in tears. We, 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 we couldn't believe it, and especially the tragedy it was. Um, and, you see, Peter's favourite saying, and I use it often too, it's from that wonderful song, Beautiful Boy. And and Peter said it on the air when, when Lennon died, when he announced it. Um, Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. You know, a message to us all, the man who was just so wise. Could you imagine the music he'd be doing today? So, yes, I was with Peter O'Callaghan and uh, we put together specials. We put together, all you know, just everything we could uh, of this man who was such a part of the music of our lives. And uh, I remember where I was when Elvis died. I was a, I was a 3DB then and <laughs> we put together specials then as well.
1: What was the last concert ticket that you paid for?
0: Well, I would pay for any concert. You know, there's nothing better than paying your own way. You don't owe anyone in it, You know, And I mean that in the nicest way. Um, yes, we get concert tickets, uh, or we did when I was in Melbourne. But the, the concert that I loved paying for, mate, was just before the terrible uh, COVID changed the world. I was in Rome and we bought tickets to a tiny historical ancient church that had three tenors singing. Not the three tenors, but three tenors. And I sat in the front pew and I cried when they sang Niece and Daughter. So, you you know, the rock and roll concerts are great, but it's what's in your heart and the atmosphere of the time.
1: Is there a concert act that you regret never seeing?
0: The Eagles in Melbourne. I couldn't make it down. Uh, the wonderful Michael Gudinski said, "Come on down." I I I love Gadinsky. such a character. You you, you know he because he bought a few concerts up here. And, uh, he said, "Come on down, but give us a call when you get here and all that." And I just never did. You know, you get you get busy being busy and doing the job I love. There's always things to do, uh, so I didn't. And I I regret that. Uh, Kevin sent me the CD of it. Um, it was Hell Freezes Over. And I, I, yeah, yeah, I look at it now and then. I love I Can't Tell You Why, but uh, that was a concert I regret.
1: Steve, is there a word that you have most trouble with pronouncing on air?
0: Most of them. You know, you, you know, that that's... Uh, The greatest, Kennedy said to me, always feel free to make a mistake because it's what we are. Why be perfect? People don't want you perfect because then you're not radio. So, yeah, if I have a bit of a hard time saying statistics at at, at, at five o'clock in the morning, um, in other words, and if you make a blue, you own up to it. Yeah, silly bugger. I I mucked up a few things this morning reading the weather because I was, yeah, I just did But you laugh at yourself. Kennedy always said, never, ever feel embarrassed to laugh. And go off mic now and then. Because that's what happens when you're talking to someone. And he's so right. So, yep, you know, if you muck up a word, who cares? You're in conversation. You're not being edited. You're not being produced. You're in conversation. The glorious, wonderful communication.
1: Now, was there ever an incident that had you thinking you might get those uh, Don't Come Monday orders?
0: Yeah, well, during the Brecky show at, at 3DB because I, I just mucked up the music often. And in those days, of course, it was leave immediately. And I was panic-stricken of that because I loved it so much and I was making mistakes. And, uh, you, know, it's, you know, I was a kid. I was 17. I was frightened. Uh, so, yeah, that happened. Yeah, there was a few times... Uh, in the early days of '48, it'd be played up so often. You know, you'd go out. You know, you're, you're doing Saturday morning six to midday, and you'd been on the drink till three. Um, you know, you weren't feel, but we were young and fit. I was young and I was terribly fit, so I'd, I'd drive in. But the, vo- the boss knew that it's you know it's the good with the bad, really. So I, yeah, things have changed a little bit. Nowadays, but yeah, in the early days with Eden, I was, I was frightened. Um, But uh, now it's part of a family. You know, you give, you give to the boss. You give as much as you can. But having said that, you know, that's from the business point of view. Your true boss, your true, true uh, leaders is the audience. You please them, the boss will love you. And you do everything for the audience. The audience own you, not 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 the corporation. To be quite honest,
1: Skyhooks or Sherbert?
0: Skyhooks, because they were car- real character dress ups. I I love them. They found them. I like them both. You know, I love Aussie performers, and I love, look. Daryl Brothwaite's up in a few months. Just brilliant. Uh, and guy oh, hasn't he shown the test of time? Absolutely brilliant. I like Skyhooks, and I like Sure because they they broke rules. They, kept, they went their own way. They, you knew what you got with Skyhooks, even though it was outrageous. It was a show. They were a tropical gear too, silly guys. But you know, they—it was a performance. It was great music, but it was a performance. So you know, really, Skyhooks. I'd say.
1: The Rolling Stones or the Beatles?
0: Beatles, because they changed the world with music—a two and a half minute song that you could listen over and over again. And there was just so many of them. (laughs) You can listen to an album and, you you know, you listen to albums, you say, okay, there's two songs on the album. Not with the Beatles. You loved them all. These sides, they were the only group I reckon that had two A-sides on every single they bought out. Um, I could play the Beatles now from the 60s and it's 2021. In fact, we do. I played Come Together on Saturday. And it was as if it was a brand-new song. You know, like how wonderful is that? That, that? So I guess the Beatles, because they're eternal. And I love the Stones too. Um, every broadcaster does. But uh, you ask which, so I'd say the Beatles.
1: The most treasured piece of memorabilia from your early radio days?
0: My, my most important piece of memorabilia is the radio that, they gave the announcement that John John Eden needed someone to wake Melbourne up in the morning. And I have that radio sitting here, Uh, an old white AWA Mickey. The valves are still in it and it works. Um, That is the most important thing in my life because I, I, I was blessed to find this job.
1: Steve, what was the biggest news story that broke while you were on air?
0: Probably the Falklands War. Um, uh, I was at uh, 3KZ, that happened, doing Midnight to Dawn. But, you know, yeah, yes, and that, that was huge. But when you're sitting in a studio in a northern city, knowing that two streets away, people were flooded in two metres of water, lives were being changed, power was gone. People were losing their homes. You're on the air announcing evacuations. You're on the air to say the gates have opened. And what that means here is the gates of the dam, in other words, metres and metres of water are coming down the heart of the city to change people's lives, could take people's lives. I was on the air. I couldn't get out of my studio. My bed was there. I told the boss, I am not moving. He said uh, farewell to me in the afternoon because he wouldn't have been able to get home and I was the only one in the station. That, to me, is the most important. New story or uh, life-changing event is when you're a part of people's lives because all they had, Paul, was the radio. Many people... They had the radio, and it's not Facebook. It's not the internet. Great things they are, of course, in their own way. But when someone's there going through it with you, they're telling you the things you need to know, because I had a direct line through to the mayor and uh, emergency services management. When you're there with them in their rooms, there is nothing like it, nothing like it. That's at radio. Is yes, it's fun and entertainment, playing great songs. But we can be a part of people's lives for the better.
1: Now, have you ever been starstruck when interviewing someone?
0: Oh, David Bowie, yeah. Um, you know, I get starstruck more so when a when the kids come up and say "g'day, pricey." And you're going to have a chat to them for the radio. That, to me, is being is being starstruck. To the kids, they they mean so
1: much more. The best words of advice from a program manager.
0: Well, I wasn't a program manager it was best radio man in the world. Kevin John lost too soon. I think of him every day. Talk to him every day. Um, and he he was the first to have have said this to me, Um, and certainly with The Breakfast Show, um, and it's just, uh, it's so true with all of of radio. They may not remember what you say. They may not remember what you do, but they will remember how you make them feel, and that is radio, and uh, I'm absolutely... Honoured and privileged and blessed to have known Kevin John.
1: And finally, Steve, two albums that you would consider to be the soundtrack of your teenage years.
0: Well, of course, we all had credence, and that, but you, you know, probably more, probably more, more songs, and you know, I, I have to go go to my year of seventeen around that time of uh, Cornelius Brothers and Sister Rose of Too Late to Turn Back Now. Because every time I hear that that start, I remember playing it on the air with John Eden and looking through the studio as if it was yesterday. And, And for me, before I go on holidays, every single time, even now, I play Joe Jackson, Stepping Out, because it is a happy, happy song. And that is what my life has been pretty well with radio.
1: Well, Steve, what can I say? After 30 years of Breakfast Radio, you're still living the dream up there and still on top. Hey, listen, thanks so much for your time today. And I hope and I'm sure there's many mango seasons ahead for you.
0: I hope so, mate. I, I, <laughs> you know, I look forward to tomorrow. And that's the honest truth. So I hope the boss grants me a few more mango seasons to enjoy with my mates here in this great city
1: the legendary Steve Price and Pilots of the Airwaves.